This is Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Welcome to another action-packed episode of Flex Show's Voice Be Heard. Just kidding, it's Be Heard Talk. I would not be making the same mistake about the show name more than four months after we changed the name. This is Stanley Fritz. You can find me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can find me on Instagram at Stan Fritz. You can find me on Snapchat at Dark Skin Swindle. I just go there, I get my filters, and then I post it on Instagram because Snapchat is not lit anymore and TikTok is probably banned in the next couple of hours. I'm in the studio or my mattress with four amazing people who are watching through Zoom and I can't wait to ignore them and say all the things I want to say without actually considering what they think about politics. So what's going on, beautiful people? Let's start with Selena Hill. Hey guys, Stanley, it would help if you turn your camera on. Uh, welcome to Be Heard Talk, where we talk race, politics, and culture and make fun of Stanley's look. Whether his camera is on or off, you will still be made fun of. Uh, my name is Selena Hill. You guys can follow me at Miss Selena Hill. That is M-S. That's how you spell Miss. So look for me there. Check me out there. And if you check out my Instagram stories, you can see all the fun I had while social distancing at the beach. Um, the little joys and pleasures mean so much during this period of quarantine. So please check it out because I spent a lot of time curating that story for you guys. Um, Stanley is on mute. First the camera's off, now he's on mute. Tammy looks great. Uh, we have a special guest who I'll introduce in a few minutes. First, let's just throw it to Tammy with the blazer and the hot pink lip. I'm loving, yeah, you yeah. really did it. You really did the blazer with the bra. Oh my God. It's nothing but drip, sweetheart. It's nothing but drip. I had to be a little faster late today. Because I was <laughs> getting my look together. I had to come and impress for our guests. Um, and also hide from the world that I'm a bimbo and I don't know anything about the vice president. So, you know, this is just faking it till I make it. What's up, y'all? <laughs> you look fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, my name is Tammy David. I'm known here at Be Heard Talk for being your problematic fave. Uh, I try to always keep it real with y'all and today, I'm excited because I feel like I need to be educated on why I should care about Biden's pick because I don't and I'm kind of not sorry about it. Um, I'm really excited for today's show. Um, and before we get into today's main segment, we're gonna talk about the news roundup. But first, I can't wait to hear from and meet our really exciting guest, Nadia. Hi. Yes, well, yeah. I'm sorry. Looking for you, Tammy? Yeah, I'm like, what was all of that background noise? Um, Nadia, if I ha can have the honor to introduce you. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. You were going to introduce me? Or you want me to say something? I can introduce you, if you don't mind. Oh, no, please. Go ahead. So Nadia Stevens, she was a senior government relations specialist at Pitta Bishop and Del Gornio. I know I messed that up, and I know I butchered that. But she doesn't work there anymore, so it doesn't matter as much. Um, as a lobbyist, she is focused on both New York City and New York State government. She engages in direct legislative advocacy on behalf of labor and not-for-profit clients. And she also served as the New York State Director for the Bernie Sanders presidential primary of 2016, which I think is super cool. So yeah. Nadia, yes, please let us know more about your personal, uh, your, your hair, which is super popping, and anything Thanks. else you want us to know. Um, thank you for that introduction, Selena. Um, I, my name is Nadia Stevens. I am a, I was, re up until very recently, I was a lobbyist for labor unions and nonprofits, as Selena mentioned, in New York City and state. 
Um, I was also a political director for the um, CWA, Communication Workers of America, Local 1180. Um, shout out to nonprofit, I mean, I'm sorry, for, uh, to public sector union clients. And, um, and right after that, though, I was the state director for Bernie Sanders in 2016, which is an important distinction from 2020. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much like my most recent employment background. Ooh, yes. I love that. She's a major boss, too. Let's not, let's not act like she didn't have all of New York State, and especially New York City, pumping for Bernie Sanders in 2016. Come oh, yes. Me. You are the reason. Well, was I, I loved Bernie even before 2016, but yes, you guys did a great job during his campaign. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. This, this time, though, I was, I was caving for Elizabeth Warren hard. Okay. It didn't work out, but, um, but, you know, but Bernie was, you know, he was my second choice. Well, speaking of Warren, she may actually end up being the VP, but we're going to talk more about that later. I'm going to kick it over to Tammy because we have a lot of news roundup stories we need to get to first. Yes. And as y'all know, before we do our main segment, we give y'all the news roundup, which is a segment where we share all the news stories from the week that made us laugh, cry, and want to move to a deserted island so we don't have to dissociate from the mess that is living as Black people in America. Uh, today, we're going to be gagging on some cultural vibes that is Beyonce's Black is King, reminding conservatives that wearing masks is a life-saving basic, and dissecting Trump's latest idiotic pop-up thought slash idea. So stay with us while we chat. Um, since we're definitely gonna talk about representation within Biden's pick later, I wanted to start by talking about the representation that really matters to me, which is Beyonce's art. Um, as the gift that keeps on giving, Beyonce did not disappoint us this weekend with Black is King, a visual album inspired by the music from The Lion King, The Gift, and is completely Beyonce's vision. She starred in it, wrote it, directed it, and was executive producer. And besides just general Black excellence, we saw tribal motifs, carefree spirituality, and besides just delivering music, fashion, and visuals, it actually has a really deep meaning. I won't spoil it, but Disney Plus and Beyonce both say that Black is King is an affirmation of a grand purpose with lush visuals that celebrate Black resilience and culture. The film highlights the beauty of tradition and Black excellence. So first off, Selena, Nadia, have any of y'all seen this yet? Because I haven't. <laughs> I have not seen Black is King. I did see the music video already, which was fantastic. I did not see Black is King yet. And I will very soon, because Stanley gave me his Disney Plus information. Oh, ooh, good friend. <laughs> Selena, have you seen it? I know you go hard for, for your girl, so. Well, honestly, I, was, I did not want to subscribe to yet another streaming service. <laughs> was not excited about subscribing to Disney Plus. However, my timelines have been flooded with all of the amazing, beautiful art and artistry that Beyonce created, which is celebrating 
um, Africa, African culture, and just um, that part of the diaspora. And I am literally dying to see it. Uh, people are putting up clips and pictures. Some of my friends in fashion are, are, are going like ballistic over that. My other friends who are dancers, like from the choreography to the art, to just the black beauty and celebration of life. Um, it, it looks, the things that are being teased look absolutely marvelous. And you know, when Beyonce does a production, she does a production. I mean, we saw Coachella, excuse me, Baychella. We saw Lemonade, that the visual album behind that. And we also saw her visual album in Beyonce, uh, the, when she dropped her self-titled album, Beyonce in 2013, which literally stopped the world. And that is a quote from um, that song that she did with Nicki Minaj when she said, I stopped the yeah. world. Okay, so, yeah. So, true. Like, oh, yeah. I, I literally stopped in my tracks and like lost my mind. Um, we need to throw it to Stanley because Stanley is all things pop culture and probably saw Black is King before it came out. Stanley, did you see it? Of course I saw Black is King. Of course. Um, of course yeah, Stanley did. Of course. I, I mean, I may or may not have been forced to watch Black is King when really was watch My Hero Academia in my room. Um, but I saw Black is King. It was great. And also there was a, a, a surprise whole verse in there. So it's always mm. cool when you can see Jay-Z rap. They had a really cool video where like he's playing chess and then outside are like people dressed as chess pieces. So yeah. That's people cool. dressed as what, Stanley? As chess pieces. So it's a really good yeah. um it's a really good movie. Um it's like very deeply influenced by Orisha and Yoruba. So like that's really cool for those of you who are into um African religions, like Western African religions in particular, it was really cool. The sound is great. The visuals are amazing as always. It was a, it, it was great. For me, I just don't think there's a universal Beyonce will ever be able to top Lemonade, which is probably like one of the best albums, like period, that I've ever seen. But Black Blackest King is a really great, solid piece of work. And and like I'm I'm looking forward to like listening to some more of the songs and like really just enjoying it. Billy, can Do I just ask really quickly oh i'm sorry nadia um oh, oh silly just real quick people are saying that it did top lemonade and beyonce but you're saying that the, that you're saying that still lemonade took the cake for you yeah lemonade still took the cake for me um as a concept album the way it came out the way she put the whole thing together in music videos it just like if like you know and most we usually talk about classic albums and hip-hop so that's the lens that i take it from Lemonade is a classic album where it's a bop from start to finish. And so are the videos. And Black is King, it's still too early to give it that grade. You have to live with the album for a little bit to really understand it. But I would wager, like with Lemonade, you could separate the album from the videos and this is still a solid album, like a really, really good album. Um, I want to see what happens once Black is King gets to live for a little bit. And then you separate the videos from the music and people still enjoy it the same way. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I feel like Beyonce's been going in more of a fine arts direction. Yeah. Like she's she's always been like really relatable to like the mainstream public, but her art is getting like so complex and like full. And let's see if that carries over just as well in terms of like actual charts and views Tammy. and all of that other stuff. Tammy, can I jump in for a second? Because yeah. No Name got in trouble on Twitter for criticizing Beyonce, she said that Beyonce was capitalizing off of African Africanism with African aesthetics. But she was like, I wonder if she's actually investing in that community as well. And a lot of people got really frustrated about that, for lack of better words. 
and there was a lot of criticism towards No Name, and she actually deleted her Twitter account for a little bit. What do you oh, guys wow. think about that? I Okay, so I think that it's important for Black people to highlight Africa in general. I feel like for a long time we've been made to feel ashamed about our African roots and and putting down and putting down Africa is an American thing. And I think that anyone who is in such a platform to uplift Africa is a beautiful thing. And you know what she does with her money is something separate. Um, I mean, I know that she's been um, benevolent to lots of causes, so it wouldn't surprise me if she did the same thing in in different countries in Africa. Um, but I I. I don't. I think as a black woman, she's able to do that without. Um, yeah. It's not. It's not appropriation as much as. It, I mean, I guess it could be because she is an American, but I think I. I think that it's important for black people to get in touch with their Africanness, and if this makes black people more proud to be African, maybe this is a good thing. Or, it, for me, I think it's a great thing. When I saw it, I was excited by it. Uh, what do you guys I think about No Name's criticism? No, I saw the criticism as well. There's a lot of, well, there is some criticism that she's exploiting and appropriating African cultures and the diaspora. For, for instance, they were even saying that there's some stereotypes in the uh, the art as well. Blackest King, for instance, when she was wearing, I forget, the um, like the water jug over her head. Uh, people were saying historically that has been used, that image itself has been used to stereotype African women. Look, I think that, you know, Beyonce had done her research. I think it was, from what I've read and, and again, seen the clips, it, to me, it seems deeply ingrained. However, someone did point out that Beyonce has not performed in Africa in over 10 years. So for her to all of a sudden, you know, use, you know, just like, hey, Africa's cool. I don't know. Like, so I, I understand the criticism. Personally, I do I do not think that what her level of artistry is so in-depth and so profound that I, and the artists that she's working with are also African, so I don't think she's appropriating at all, but I understand the criticism. You know what? No, I, I don't like any of that criticism. I don't respect or understand it. I don't I don't rock with people who are like so super hyper woke that they like police what other people can and can't do or can and can't appreciate. Like that to me is the biggest stretch of all time telling Beyonce, Ms. Beyonce, that she's not allowed to represent African art. First of all, Black people reclaiming their heritage in the 60s and 70s had a lot to do with returning to African motifs and themes occur. So that is very valid. And second of all, I don't, I don't, Beyonce is a very private person and I very much like that. You don't know where her money is going and where her support is going. Ask African women if they're offended by Beyonce's motifs and use of their culture in her videos. And that should be your answer. Like, when somebody appreciates a culture and does research into it, even if she's American, that doesn't mean that she shouldn't be allowed to respectfully use art and themes. And I don't think there was anything about Black as King that wasn't like an homage to beautiful African culture with the utmost respect. So No Name was really out of pocket for that one. I'm kind of getting tired of old girl. I defended her with the J. Cole situation, but she's doing too much today. Yeah, I mean, I don't like everyone has the right to give criticism and challenge folks. I won't, I don't want to like silence her for that, but like, what's what, what is the point of making that comment? Like that's, that's, that's what I didn't get. It's like, everyone's enjoying this album. 
they're having a blast with it. People are are excited because on Twitter, when you like a post talking about the album, the like button turns into a lion, and then no names like, well, we're not African people. It's like, you couldn't just hold that a little bit? No, some people just don't want others to have nice things. And unfortunately, that's what we got to deal with. As we, you know, get into wokeness more into mainstream, there's always going to be people like that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, moving forward with the news roundup, um, I want to bring some attention to some sort of COVID updates and political updates, just to let y'all know what's been shaken on the ground besides Beyonce's perfect beats and aesthetic. Um, <laughs> Herman Cain passed away of COVID-19 in a news story that briefly made a think of COVID as a comrade. Um, the conservative CEO and Fox News correspondent uh, was kind of a ragged story, but unfortunately, um, he used his wealthy and influential voice to sort of stand by white supremacy and ideas of capitalism as being the only answer for Black people. And in a truly universal, untimely end, um, after being catapulted to national fame for a failed presidential run and his long-lasting loyalty to the House occupant, just before um, attending the Tulsa rally the day after Juneteenth, Herman Cain, I'm sorry, Herman Cain tweeted that people are fed up and that you know, masks are not mandatory at the event. And he publicly put it out there that he doesn't care about wearing masks. And nine days after attending that rally, he tested positive for COVID. Two days later, he had to be hospitalized and now he's dead. So honestly, a lot of people are saying that Trump killed Herman Cain and that this is a high profile death that yet again could have been avoided if our administration actually cared about wanting to protect us from the pandemic. Stanley, I want to go to you first um, because I know you said you respect the dead, but it's just such a good I told you so moment. Are you going to roast this or are you going to, you know, well, I want to hear from you. <laughs> So the day before Herman McCain died, from his Twitter account, he said, Americans are fed up. These masks don't help anyone who shouldn't wear them. And then the next day, we found out that Herman McCain was dead. Herman McCain was a lot of things. Herman McCain was an Uncle Tom. Herman McCain was somebody who was very successful. Herman McCain was somebody who really enthusiastically pushed the Republican agenda, even though it was hurting people and costing lives. Herman Cain should not be dead right now. And he's dead because white supremacy and the need for whiteness to be at the top has killed thousands of people because of COVID. And now Herman Cain is someone that's added to that list. I'm not gonna speak ill of him. He's gone. It's too late. But this should be there should be a warning to those people who still think that Donald Trump and his ignorance is safe. It is going to kill people. It has killed people. So Herman Cain can go and he will have to deal with the ancestors. And, you know, he, like whatever happens to him in the afterlife happens to him in the afterlife. As far as us, let's stay far away from Donald Trump. Let's stay far away from people who support his politics. And if somebody wants to be an Uncle Tom for Trump, let them do that in their, in, in, like, in their own will as long as they're not putting other people in danger. 
Nadia, I know you work in the political world. Um, is there a way sort of around this, like besides the masks, like having these big political events or like continuing onward with lobbying, et cetera, um, in the age of coronavirus? No, absolutely not. There's no way around this. I mean, this pandemic is ruling everything right now and we have to have respect for it. And if we don't, we'll end up like those who didn't, like Herman Cain, um, unfortunately. And lobbying stopped in March. Um, Governor Cuomo closed the Capitol to visitors. Um, and, you know, I think that it's, I, I know a lot of people are like making fun of him because he was Herman Cain. I mean, the reality is that like, when you like, take a step back, it's actually really sad you know, that this man is dead now because he, was, he preferred to, you know, to, to latch himself on to Trump and to white supremacy than protecting himself and his, and his whole family. His, his whole family went with him to that rally in Tulsa, which we didn't even mention because you know, he was, Trump was initially gonna have this rally on Juneteenth and after significant backlash, he changed the date. But the reality is that this was still in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, and everyone, the, the massacre of 1921, I believe, was still fresh in everyone's mind, especially because Watchmen had just come out. And this was, you know, so it was not an accident that he was having this in Oklahoma, I don't think. And, um, and for Herman Cain to go with his whole family, not mask up, talk about, you know, the, there's no need for masks. It just seems like, I don't know, it seems like he, he had this coming. Um, when you go to a public event with hundreds of people or thousands of people and you don't wear masks, you know, scientists have been saying this for months. This is not anything new. You know, if, if people choose to ignore that, then this is what ends up happening, unfortunately. That's fair. Agreed. Selena, I know, I know that Herman Cain was influential, whether we like it or not. After all, he was a really successful African-American man with a huge platform. Is there anything sort of, you know, mask wearing aside that you think we can take from his death or we should take from his death? Yeah, the irony. I mean, as you just mentioned, Herman Cain was a successful businessman. He was a pizza magnet. Uh, he beat breast cancer and he ran for president. And for a brief period of time, he's actually leading in the polls in 2012. Yet the ignorance and imminent danger of Donald Trump in the White House is what triggered his very preventable death. Let that not be lost on anyone. Now, the GOP and the right-wing media, they are having a hard time grappling with this. They're saying that, oh, the left is polarizing his death and politicizing it. There is no way to not politicize his death. He literally was campaigning for Trump and with Trump, went to the rally. And by the way, eight other White House staffers also con uh, uh, contracted COVID after attending that same rally in Tulsa. Um, look, the GOP party is full of anti-science and anti-elitist type of politics. This is what they had coming. Donald Trump has blood on his hands. From day one, he decided to trivialize this coronavirus and to politicize it as the quote unquote China virus. And as a result, Herman Cain has now become the most famous American to die from COVID-19. And he was literally working for Donald Trump. Look, we have to understand that not only do, you know, politics have consequences, but ignorance does. It even takes me back to the Bible where it says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. This is this, is this manifested. Like, and I, and I don't understand how this, this propaganda is being fed out and, and fed to the masses by right-wing media and it's literally killing people. Don, uh, Herman Cain 
days before he died, was still tweeting about not wearing a mask and, and amplifying skepticism of the dangers of COVID-19. Look, it has very real, very real consequences. And on top of that, there was also a pastor in Virginia who refused to close his church, also trivializing the matter, the, 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 um, this matter from the pulpit. He died. So look, people, and then he was also black. Black people in particular, we have to wake up. We have to take this thing seriously because the facts and the data and the science shows we are the ones who are going to be affected the most. And it was so sad that this very successful and polarizing man had to die like this. He was only 70. I honestly couldn't have said that better myself. It is just a matter of like understanding that our public health at this point is political and whether people want to believe it or not there's hard science and data that is telling us what we as a nation need to do just some quick COVID updates for y'all um, before we get to our last story so y'all can understand that this is not over despite New York City looking and feeling like it may be over um, a couple of weeks ago 40 out of 50 states were spiking with coronavirus. We have about 4 million cases currently. Three states are in shambles, Florida, California, and Texas. And of those 40 states, fortunately, 27 of them are plateauing on their numbers. But that still leaves 13 states where numbers are getting higher every single day. While New York numbers are tapering off, they're actually going up and down, which is alarming because it means that we could be headed for a spike soon. While numbers oscillate between five and 600, lately they've been going towards the 700s and dipping up and down every day. While the Department of Education considers sending kids back to school in the fall and colleges clamor for tuition money and hybrid classes. Businesses are reopening, retailers are expanding, and numbers are just going up. Not to mention that travel is not doing as poorly as it should be right now. And with the majority of our states spiking, it means that even states like ours are not safe. So please, please wear a mask. Let this be a lesson to you all. It's a very simple thing we can do to make the second wave whenever it comes so much easier on everyone else. And we need to follow the science. The last story today for the News Roundup is gonna be about something ironically that Republicans are falling in line about. While Republicans are falling in line with Trump about coronavirus dismissing concerns, they are, however, combating his recent outlandish tweet that suggests postponing the 2020 pr presidential elections. This tweet pretty much to us liberals proves that yeah, Trump doesn't understand there are laws around running a country democratically, but Surprisingly, this has gained bipartisan support in ire and confusion and an immediate shutdown. He tweeted on July 30th, with universal mail-in voting, not absentee, absentee voting, which is good, 2020 will be the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history. It will be a great embarrassment to the USA. Delay the election until people can properly, securely, and safely vote, question mark. 
major Republican figures, including Senate Majority Leader slash Subway Rat turned human Mitch McConnell have stepped up to say they would not support the president in this effort and quickly undercut him. So for now, the election will go on as planned. But what about his concerns? Stanley, is this actually legal to postpone the election? Uh, no, but there's like, no, I mean, he doesn't have the authority to do it. An election can be postponed, but he alone does not have the authority to do it. Actually, what you're seeing is this is what happens in nations with authoritarians leading. When they realize, when they realize or they're worried that they're going to lose their power, they then suspend elections because it's not safe. Um, like Patrick is saying in the chat, it's straight up fascism. But there's no surprise about this. Anybody who's been following this election and anybody who's in politics knows that this was always coming. This is always going to happen. I know Nadia and I have talked about it a lot um, when outside was still open because there's no vi viable way that Trump could win this election without cheating. So why would he not try and cancel the elections? And he also has his people deeply embedded in the post office. So vote by mail is going to be a complete crap show. So this is just the beginning of what's going to be a very stressful next couple of months. Nadia, if... You know, obviously we do have voter suppression and vote by mail is going to be a shit show. That is a fact. So aren't some of the things he's saying correct? Like, wait, absolutely. How are we going to have a, an election? The head of the post office in a, in a plan to cut overtime wants to close post offices, um, cut shifts um, in post offices across the country. Um, and it just so happens that we have a major election in under 100 days. So um, he's a donor to Trump, this guy, um, DeJoy, I think his name is. And um, this is part of a complicit plan to steal the election. And um, we absolutely need to raise our voices about this because this is the only way that Republicans win now, by cheating. And it's either voter suppression or closing post office and there, there, are some, there are some states where if it's not in by election day, the vote doesn't count. And in some swing states like Arizona and Pennsylvania, where the vote doesn't count. And I think um, in 2018, there were 7,000 late ballots in, in Arizona and 3,000 late ballots in Pennsylvania. And this, was, this was, had nothing to do with COVID. This was just um, absentee ballots. Um, and so if, if the ballots don't get in because of because of overtime cuts and because post offices are closed and because people just aren't working as much as they were, then we can see uh, an election where Trump wins by cheating, by stealing votes. Selena, I'm gonna throw the last question from uh, the chat to you. Is there something we should be doing to encourage folks in swing states to do early voting instead of mail-in ballots? Yes, campaigning to get them to do early voting. Um, you know, to the earlier points that were mentioned, Republicans understand they only win when people don't show up and vote. So, and when there aren't enough votes, uh, when, when there aren't enough votes uh, being counted in their favor, the more people that come out and vote and that try to vote, the chances are that, that they will lose. They are very well aware of this and we are in a critical time. This is the most important election of our lifetime. I know we've heard this phrase before, but it, it, it's true this time. Um, so yeah, look, I'm going to be out. I, I voted in the local elections. I wore a mask. Thank God I was afraid. I mean, excuse me, I was safe. Um, but I think that we have to continue to push people to vote, to do early voting, and to just, uh, just to stress 
stress the, the cruciality behind this. This is a pivotal moment in time. Donald Trump knows that. And if he's reelected for another four years, if you think this was bad now, it's only going to get worse. More people are going to die. Uh, more people are going to be locked in cages. More people are going to be blocked from even coming to this country for safety reasons and, and seeking asylum. Uh, again, his policies, his rhetoric are extremely dangerous, and we got to get him out of office. Well, with that being said, we also got to hustle to the main segment so we can talk about how to get this man out of office. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us, y'all, for the News Roundup. If you have any ideas for next week, hit us up at Be Heard Talk. And join us Tuesday for the News Roundup Extended. Selena? Thank you so much for that, Tammy. So, yeah, speculation surrounding Joe Biden's vice presidential selection is heating up. Joe Biden will reportedly make this all important decision to decide who will be his vice presidential candidate as early as this week. We know for sure that the presumptive Democratic nominee will pick a woman and that four Black women are currently being considered in his list of contenders. Now, this year's Democratic vice presidential nominee, uh, they're under a lot of scrutiny, but the stakes are really, really high. Never before, uh, do, do I believe there was a time where there was so much focus on a vice presidential pick? The reason being is because, number one, he has declared it's going to be a woman, so he wants to uh, pretty much make a, a statement, a, a symbolic statement. It might be a Black woman, and I think a lot of people, a lot of Democrats and those of us on the left are saying, well, you owe us that because Black women have been very supportive in the Democratic Party and continue to uh, elect Democratic candidates. Uh, we are the backbone of the Democratic Party, and we have been saying for a long time, we don't feel compensated. We don't feel that there's a return on our investment in this Democratic Party. Uh, and not only that, but we're in a pandemic. We're in a recession. Or, or it looks like it's heading towards a recession, and Biden is pretty old, you know? So, you know, the reality is the vice presidential candidate could be, you know, is, is almost as important as, uh, you know, the, the candidates on the main ticket at this point. So there was a lot of talk about Kamala Harris being the front runner for weeks on end. It was up until, I believe, last week, or a little over a week ago, where uh, some insiders from Biden's vetting team, Chris Dodd, in fact, he leaked news that he is actually not, he does not want Kamala Harris to be vice presidential. Things that she's being called too ambitious. Uh, and she's also being attacked because during the, on the national debate stage, she is the one who pointed out Biden's heinous record on busing, and working with segregationists. He actually bragged about working with segregationists and you tried to, to unite on different fronts. So she called it out. That was her moment in the primary, in the debate. That is what got Kamala even um, a, lot of, uh, um, of, um, a lot of support. She, we saw a brief little spike. And now all of a sudden she's getting a lot of backlash. So after that, now it seems like Karen Bass, we're seeing her name circulate even more. However, right-wing media and Donald Trump himself, they've been calling her uh, Fidel Castro-friendly and saying that she's a socialist and all this other nonsense. So they're really attacking her. Um, you know, and we've seen the same playbook happen for, uh, you know, Stacey Abrams. Um, you know, a, a lot of the women who are contending now, they're facing so much scrutiny and so much backlash. And some of the other women that are uh, being named and listed include Elizabeth Warren, Warren Tammy Duckworth, and Val Demings. I'll say this about the women who are listed. They all have some baggage. 
They all have, uh, um, you know, they all have a record that would not be, I think, ideal for progressives, people like us living in this current zeitgeist of, you know, uh, calling for police reform, calling to dismantle white supremacy, uh, calling to, uh, for criminal justice reform. Like we're in a different stage at this point. And I don't think that a lot of the women um, have a track record that would support the current political and social climate that we're in. Um, but that being said, I want to open up this conversation uh, to the panel to talk about where you, what are you guys feeling about this vice presidential candidate, uh, just the race around it and the potential of us getting a black woman. I'll actually start with you, Stanley. Which potential vice presidential pick are you most excited about and why? I wouldn't say I'm very excited about any vice presidential candidate pick, honestly. Unless it was AOC, then I might be really excited, but then I might be discouraged because I don't want AOC to be a vice president. The, per the person that I'm like the most interested in having is Elizabeth Warren. And I don't think that he's gonna pick her because in my experience, you pick a vice president based on what state they can help you in. And Joe Biden is not gonna have any trouble winning Massachusetts, which is the land of white people. It's mad white people there. Biden's got that in the bag. Um, what probably makes the most sense for him to do is pick somebody from Florida, which means probably Val Demings, because Florida, we almost always lose Florida or it's always really close and that could help, that could be a boost. So Val Demings is probably the person that he, he should, he will go with. And if not Kamala Harris, the only way I really care about the vice presidential pick is if it's a really bad pick. So if he picks like, I don't know, Lindsey Graham or Mitch McConnell or Republican, then I'll be upset. But other than that, you can't really mess this up. Nadia, I want to get your take on this. Again, you were the New York State director for Bernie's campaign in 2016, and you said early in the show you were caping for Elizabeth Warren. Are you feeling excited about Warren or anybody else that may be a potential vice presidential pick? The only candidate I'm excited about is Elizabeth Warren, um, but I don't think that she's going to have a chance. I think that she would... Biden has said time and time again, he wants someone he is simpatico with. Those are, that's his word. And him and Elizabeth Warren are too divergent on so many different views. And additionally, I think it might be, uh, it might hurt him in some states across the country who are, because Trump, as you know, is going to throw the term socialist around. And um, the we need to do no harm. The vice presidential pick, the first rule is to do no harm. And um, I think that Elizabeth Warren could harm the ticket in that way. Like I said, I do love her. I do want her to win. Um, I do want her to be the pick, but I, I don't know if he can, if, if he can do as well as he could um, without her, unfortunately. Um, I do think Kamala Harris is a likely choice being so much younger at 50, I think she's 55. Um, and she was the first to drop out of the race. She even before Super Tuesday and endorsed him in March, you know, like she, it looked like she was setting herself up for this. Um, and I think that, that they do that uh, aside from that one incident in the debate, I think that she would be like a good, um, supporter to him. Um, and I think that she could be a person who would be the democratic nominee four years from now. Um, someone in the comments mentioned Susan Rice. Um, and I, I think Susan Rice, I think she's great. I, um, it, she is largely unknown across the country because although she was in the Obama administration, she 
did not, um, she was not on an outside stage as um, the rest of the Democratic primary participants were. Um, so there, there'll be a lot of, and, and then there's Benghazi. So there's people that are going to attack her on Benghazi and that's just going to bring up horrible deja vu. Um, and it might, it might bring back ideas of the Obama administration that Biden wants to tamper down. So um, there are a lot, there are a lot of people be, being considered that weren't even mentioned. Keisha Lance Bottoms is somebody um, who, you know, has been really great so far in her um, response to the coronavirus and also in terms of police brutality in her, in her city. Um, and then uh, um, I think that Val Demings being, I think being from Florida is helpful, as Stanley mentioned. I mean, Florida has 29 points. I mean, it's, it's one of the, it's the biggest swing state of, out of the six. Florida is the biggest one. Um, but studies actually show that even though people think that getting someone from the state is helpful, it actually isn't. Like with John Kerry, he picked um, John Edwards from North Carolina, and then they lost North Carolina by like 15 points. So it's just like, you never really, it, it doesn't always pan out the way that we hope that it will. Right. Um, um, well, um, Tammy, before we get your voice in here, Stanley is telling me we have comments, and I know, Tammy, you're going to go off. So let's get those comments in, and we're going to swing it to Tammy. Go ahead, Stanley. Yeah. So um, Beckelish says, they'll call anybody a socialist, but 20-ish voters see Harris as a cop. Val Demings was a sheriff, too, wasn't she? She yes. was the police chief was, of the Orlando yes. Police Department. Yeah. And, and her husband was the police chief before she was, also. Yeah. So, we, we just did a, um, a poll, and, like, it seems like a split between Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, and Stacey Abrams. But, like, Stacey Abrams has almost fallen off the map as a VP pick. Thank you for that, Stanley, and thank you for the guys leaving comments. I do want to throw it to Tammy because you have a very different perspective. You said at the top of the show, you don't care who the vice presidential pick is. So talk to us about what you're feeling. Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, you know, usually I would go off, but my answer is really kind of short and sweet. I really am not excited for a single person, and I genuinely don't care. Like, I just don't feel like it's going to make a difference in terms of policy. And I really feel like the VP pick is like a leftover sort of pandering pick. It's like, you know, okay, we didn't get any black candidates. So now we're considering all these black VPs or yeah, we're not going to get a woman president. So I've made the lineup all women. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's going to be influential for me. And I just feel like it's, it's like an aesthetic or like figurehead choice. So well, that being said, Tammy, do if he was to pick a black woman, would you would that affect or influence your vote at all? No, because I'm a hard leftist, and not every black person is my kind of black person. We're not a monolith. I do not I do not support having someone with hard criminal policies as the VP because it trickles down into oppressing people on the actual streets. So. Unfortunately, I'm not just, I'm not rooting for everybody black. Well, that's a very different perspective. Um, Stanley, do you feel the Democratic Party owes it to black women to nominate a, a, a black vice presidential pick? Um, I think the Democratic Party owes it to black voters, particularly black women, to have good policies that will improve the lives of black and brown people. I don't care about the candidate because... The VP 
depending on like how much of an ego Biden has, could just be somebody that cuts ribbons and shows up for press conferences and not do anything. It doesn't matter. So, so what if we have a black woman as vice president, if all Joe Biden lets that woman do is cut ribbons and go to all the black events? Not helpful at all. But what are we going to do about reparations? What are we going to do about housing? What are we going to do about health care? So you can, pass, you can skip a black woman vice president and pass Medicare for all and raise the minimum wage all across the country and do a couple of other things that will help black people a lot more than having a black face in a white space with no power. Nadia, I want to get your thoughts on this. Do, do you, I mean, do you think that a black woman as vice president might incentivize more people of color to come out and vote in the polls and help Joe Biden actually win this election? I think a lot of different things on this. One, black participation went up six points in 2008 and 2012 because Obama was on the ticket. But that's Obama. Nobody else is Obama. Susan Rice is an Obama. Stacey Abrams is an Obama. Nobody's Obama. What about um, Michelle Obama? What if she ran for? But she she's not she's Obama. <laughs> she's not. She's not. You know. Otherwise, you know, that, that could that could make a difference. There could be a bump in that. I do want to push back in that the VP all they do is ceremonial title. Not in this case. Joe Biden being the oldest president, the oldest president if he is nominated or elected, will be seventy-eight, and he has said, and then he walked it back, but. I think what he's laying the ground for is he's only going to serve one term and whoever is his VP will be the Democratic nominee. And so I think that it's not the usual nothingness. That oh my like, gosh. Yeah. Thank like, you for that news. Whew. It's not, it's not just, you know, who's going to get me a state. Like this person is likely going to be the presumptive nominee in 2024. Oh. So this is a more of a long game. And I think that having a black woman in the seat would be, I think it would be great. But because that's also a factor, I would like somebody whose policies I agree with. Yeah. And yeah. none of the black women candidates, I don't know how how much I gel with them on a lot of, of a lot of policy. I'm I'm the closest to Elizabeth Warren. And I mentioned before that I think that she's gonna she's gonna have an uphill battle as a vice presidential nominee. So it's not just it's not just a vice presidential candidate. This is a presidential candidate four years from now. So it's it's uh, it's big. That, and that's why he's taking so long. Oh, yeah. And as he should. I get it. Because like I mentioned before, each one of these candidates have baggage. You know, Susan Rice with Benghazi. Kamala was a cop. Uh, you know, it, it, the list goes on and on. But the thing is, are we not giving these candidates space to evolve? Like, I get it. People have a track record 10, 20 years ago. Their policies do not align with this current zeitgeist. But... Is this somebody that we could trust? Is this somebody who will be willing to listen to the left, come to the table, hear our needs, and, and, and maybe even shift a little bit on some policies? We saw Obama shift in real time on LGBTQ issues. If we were having this conversation 10 years ago and say, well, you know what? He's not supporting gay marriage. I'm going to write him off. We would have been too quick because once he was elected, he was the president that enacted same-sex marriage. So are we not, Stanley, giving these women enough time and space for grace and evolution? Um, we should give them space and grace for evolution. The fact of the matter is, if they're a politician and they're like the, the run-of-the-mill politician, they can be moved with organizing. And that's really been my argument for why we should vote for Biden and not let Trump win another term, because Joe Biden is a politician, so he can be moved, which means one of these candidates, vice president candidates, can be moved also. However, 
the thing that bothers me, and I've learned the hard way with politicians is, depending on the kind of person that they are, you can move them and they can still crap on you. For example, Governor Cuomo. We pushed him to pass campaign finance reform in New York State so we could have publicly financed elections. He was like, yeah, yeah, I'm all for it. He passes the bill and then he puts a clause in there that increases the number of votes you need to stay on the ballot, therefore undermining the power of third parties like the Working Families Party. Why did he do that? Because he hates the Working Families Party because they push him to the left. That's the kind of politician that Joe Biden is. And I'm not sure if that's the kind of politician that Kamala Harris would be. But I suspect she is because she signed on to Medicare for All and then she signed off when it didn't benefit her anymore. So we don't need folks who are going to move and then just flip back when it doesn't seem good for them. Tammy, I see you getting uh, particularly excited. Um, what, what, is, what are your thoughts on, you know, just getting someone in here? They may not be as left as you are, but maybe we can work with them. You know, we had a good conversation about this other day, Stanley, about how, you know, sometimes we just got to be nicer to our own. Like, we got to give Black people more of a chance than we give, you know, white counterparts in politics. Yeah. And for me, what is really disappointing is that I feel like if you come in as a Black person, why do we need to shift you and radicalize you so hard? Like the idea of getting someone in that understands oppression and understands what Black America needs and understands sort of the nuanced intersectionality of being poor and a person of color or you know gay and Black or whatever the case may be. Getting them in there is supposed to be to advocate for the issues. Why is it that we need to get them in there and then also keep our foots on their neck? I don't respect that sort of wishy-washy political behavior. And I get that politics is a game and politicians can be swayed. And that's sort of how it goes, you know, the hardest to lobby, the most you know, expensive lobby cases usually are the ones that influence our policy. But that to me is the point of electing a person from our communities who understands our struggles, that we don't have to do that because we don't have the capacity to be fact checking on a city, state and federal lo level all the time amidst the pandemic in a pandemic. I think it's just too much. We need someone who we can trust, not someone we need to like be watching all the time. Do you want us to respond to that? Yeah, Timmy, I hear you a thousand percent. But like, I think the piece that you're missing is that these politicians have come up in a system that's deeply influenced by white supremacy, and they've had to contort themselves in a certain way to survive here. So this isn't as if like, like we've been lucky enough where we can take these political stances that we do with little to no consequences. That was not the case a few years ago. You had to toe the line. You had to move a certain way. This was the way that you were taught and told that you could make change. Now, I don't agree with it, and neither do you, but we have to be honest about where a lot of these people are coming from. And if you think you're a radical and a lefty now, wait 20 years from now when the new era of radicals and lefties come in and they start looking at you like you're crazy and saying that you're soft. We have to give a little space, especially for our own people, because it's like, as somebody who's been in politics for a couple of years now and was, and was trying to get in for a long time, as Selena can tell you, she used to be like, yo, Stanley, if you want to be involved in politics, you got to get involved in the church. I know you don't like the respectability stuff, but you got to put on a suit. 
when I was working with, with elected officials or, pe or black people in the movement, they told me I couldn't talk a certain way or be a certain way. They, like, they, they literally tell you how you have to be. I was lucky enough that I came up in a time when things were starting to shift and there's new spaces for black people, but that wasn't the case for Kamala Harris or Val Demings. So we got to give some space for that. Uh, Nadia, I want to get your thoughts on the conversation that we're having about giving extra grace to uh, politicians or elected elite officials of color uh, who grew up in a very different time and aren't millennials, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I think that when we first, I appreciate that, Stanley. Um, I think that when we, I think this conversation is particularly um I think Kamala Harris fits this conversation really well. I'm going to use her as an example. Um, I think that when she, so she was, um, she was DA in San Francisco and she was attorney general and in, in all of California. And, you know, she had taken some positions that were, that even like with the time were not popular, like legalizing marijuana and um, creating a panel to, um, to investigate police brutality. Um, and I think that, and I, I understand why she why she was the way she was. She was the first woman, black woman DA, the first woman DA in California, especially. I mean, this is I mean, um, DA and Attorney General. This is huge, you know. Like, so she had to she had to fit that tough on crime um, paradigm. Otherwise, she would be seen as too soft and too feminine for the role. Mm -hmm. And um, but I I do think that she was not she did not move when the times did either. Which gives, which gives me pause about her. Um, and so I don't think, it might not be fair to judge someone on their record, but it is natural and it is what we have to go on. And I think since then she has, she has again been wishy-washy in some areas and I like Kamala. Like it hurts me to, to talk badly about her because I like her, I want her to do well and I think she would be a good vice president. Um, and she could possibly be swayed into being a good president, you know, in 2024, if, it, if and when it comes to that. Um, so it's, it's just, a, it's very difficult um, for black electeds. And I, I think that we do need to give them grace, but I also think we need to look at where they are now. And I think that a lot of them have not made right. the changes with the times either. I agree with you, Nadia, because um, having brief interactions with Kamala and a most recent interview with her the other day, I like her too, personally. Like, she's like the auntie that cares and would mentor you and would like, hey, sweetie. Like, she's super nice as a person, very personable, very fun. Like, look, and I know, and the reason I bring this up because everyone, you know, in 2016 was like, I don't like Hillary because I couldn't go out and have a cup of tea with her. Kamala is that person. And mm -hmm. she's also tough. She's also a prosecutor. And she also knows how to hold people accountable. Like, we've seen her on the Senate floor. And I'm like, yes, sis. Let's get it. Um, so, yeah. No, I like her, too. But, and I think that, you know, you make a fair point. We all, we, we've talked about this before, about holding people accountable for a record that was in a totally different time. But I think that what unites all of us is moving forward. We want to make sure that our community needs and interests are heard, represented, and advocated for by these particular seats in office. So what needs to be done, particularly in this 2020 election, to make sure that happens, Stanley, uh, and obviously taking the vice presidential picket into account? What we need to do is be educated on the role of vice president and the role of president, 
We also need to make sure we're educated about what we need to do to make sure we can vote and others can vote. And we have to go out there and vote and understand that that's not the last step. Win, lose, or draw, it is a fight. It's a marathon. Politics is a contact sport. And we just have to be engaged. And then finally, and this is not what you asked me, but I think it's important to understand, is everybody is on a different political journey. With elected officials, you can organize them. And you need to organize them. But they can shift. With everyone else, give some space. Because as much as Lena Hill on this show and calls me a radical, there's a whole different group of people who look at me and think I'm an Uncle Tom because of my politics. Politics shift and change drastically. And we had to be able to grade people based on like the time that they were in, but also, as Nadia said, their ability to shift when it's obvious that what they're doing doesn't work anymore. Tammy, as we close this, I want to give you time to give any final statements and thoughts and also ask uh, what needs to be done to make sure that, you know, your, your views in particular are represented on a national scale. Well, you know, keeping in mind sort of, and thank you, Nadia, for coming and also Stanley for, as always, being really candid because I feel like I have learned a lot today about sort of the power that a VP might have and what we need to consider around the personality that is chosen. Um, I think regardless of person, um, I can safely say that we need to all focus on policy and not giving up on advocating, lobbying, really harassing our elected officials on sort of the policies that we're looking for. Because me as a radical leftist, I really consider myself a communist. Um, I'm never kind of going to be happy with national electoral politics, you know, and, and Nadia and Stanley, you guys are right. Like there are different there have been different standards and I'm too young to have seen that really evolve. So what I really want us to focus on and especially the other radicals listening is making sure that our policy points are heard. If we get Kamala Harris, the cop as VP pick, we better force her, force her to sign back on to Medicare for all. Regardless of who we have, we need to make sure that they're thinking about a green new deal, fair economic justice and sort of more leftist policies, even if they necessarily aren't hard leftists themselves. And that to me, Stanley, is how I, you know, give my people room to grow. Even if the best choice doesn't come in, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to keep doing my job as an organizer to make sure that these policies are on the forefront of everyone's minds. Thank you for that, Tammy. Uh, Nadia, what are your last thoughts on this conversation and also moving forward as a collective to make sure that our needs are being addressed uh, in 2020 and beyond. Uh, I think that when we're picking a presidential nominee, we're picking who we're going to be fighting with for the next four years. And I think that Biden is somebody who can be moved. And I think that we need to, whoever is ends up being his VP needs to be someone who, that we, who we can move. And I think that everybody on the list is movable. Um, and I think that, so I don't think that we, I don't think that we can really lose in terms of who he chooses as VP. Um, you know, there are some that are better than others. I think that we can't be held to this purity test though about, you know, we need the best possible slate. It's like, this is not a normal time. Donald Trump is the president. We need anybody other than him. 
to be the new president. That's it. And we only have two choices. We have him and Trump. That's it. Um, you know, Kanye and Howie Hawkins are only going to steal votes and possibly win Trump the election. So we really need to pay attention, pick a side, grow up, choose a side. And I think that we also need to organize in different states. The closest swing state to New York is Pennsylvania. So New York is most likely going to go blue. I think that we need to get boots on the ground in Pennsylvania so that we can turn that state blue because it's, it's a really big one coming up. And, and it, it's usually, it, it's, it's favorable to turn blue. And so we can do that. We just need to organize for it. Thank you so much for that. And again, thank you, Nadia, for even coming on the show. I'll just close out by saying this, right. Uh, as everyone said, paying attention and being involved in politics is definitely the first step. Well, if you ask me, everyone didn't say that, but that's, that's what I think. But I think number two, the second step that we must take is we must continue to amplify our voices in the streets. No matter who is elected, if there are enough of us rallying, signing petitions, making phone calls, showing up outside their doors, having sit-ins and die-ins, they are going to be forced to listen to us and concede to our needs. Because you know that saying, no justice, no peace? They're going to adhere to it. If we say there, we, there aren't going to be any peace in the streets, we're going to disrupt the economy, we're going to disrupt business as usual, and we're not going to go for status quo type of politics anymore, they will hear us. No matter who is elected, they will be forced to hear us. So literally, honestly, if it falls on us, it falls on us as the people to remain organized, to remain uh, incentivized, and to get out in the streets, make our voices heard, and make sure that no matter who is elected, we never stop. That being said, I want to thank everyone for listening to Be Heard Today. Of course, thank you to Nadia, our special guest. Continue to support us. You can support us actually on patreon.com slash Talk. When you support us, we will support the issues and causes that you care about. Till next week, guys. Thank you.